you guys for joining. This is another weekly edition yeah. on, on Wednesday where I have the opportunity to interview and learn about the different markets all across the country. And so today we have Melissa out of San Diego and Taryn out of Palm Beach. Um, Melissa, why don't you go first, if you can share a little bit about yourself, how long you've been in business. And I think it would be helpful just for others to know of the San Diego market, kind of what is the average price point or at least the range that uh, you see in the area? Um, you know, we're right now, first of all, thank you, um, Spencer, for having me on here today. What an honor. Uh, I so appreciate you. And um, so as far as for San, San Diego goes, probably about 650 to 675 is about our average. Nice. And can you share a little bit of uh, your background in real estate, what you did perhaps before uh, uh, real estate? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I was a nurse before I got into real estate, and um, and I got into real estate about oh about twenty five and a half years ago, uh, basically out of a necessity and a need because my husband and I had purchased our our first home with two kids, and we did not have a pleasant experience. So as a result of that <clears throat> very difficult experience. Um, and the fact that I am a huge like believer in uh, doing the right thing, I uh, decided to get into real estate and become a advocate for people, like their voice. Um, I would speak on their behalf, things like that. So I've been doing that now for almost 26 years. Wow, all in the San Diego market, or did you move around throughout? No, no, we, it was, it's all San Diego. Born and raised in San Diego, wow. and uh, yeah. My platform is all real estate referrals, so I work by referral. Nice. Wonderful. And Taryn, how about yourself out of Palm Beach? So <clears throat> we actually got into real estate. It's a similar story. Um, my husband and I have always been very entrepreneurial, and the, one of the main motivators is when we moved to Palm Beach, we also had some really bad experiences with agents. And I was like, my God, I'm like, if these people are making a living doing this, mental note, when the time comes, I definitely need to explore this. Um, and people don't realize the impact of, of those experiences. You know, the fact that somebody didn't call you back over a weekend or, you're, you know, we were supposed to be moving in and... Uh, it was a two-week notice that we came out looked at properties. We went back up to Atlanta. That's where we were at the time. And we packed up our whole house, and we're driving down. And I think it was Sunday night. And I said to my husband, and he says, we were, like, we were talking. And I'm like, wait, do we have a lease? Like, do we have an executed lease? And he's like, I don't, I don't have one. I'm like, I don't have one. How do we know we're actually moving in? We put all this money into it. The moving truck is bringing our stuff down. We're calling the agent. Nobody will call us back. Calling the property manager. Nobody will call us back. Um, and we actually woke up Monday and we're like, my God, we don't even know where to park the truck. Is this even happening? So that kind of left a sour experience. And then we had some another time when somebody was so rude because we didn't understand the markets. And instead of um, telling us, this is what you know, what you can get with this money. And if you want, I mean, they didn't really take the time to just educate and be gentle. We were moving here under a lot of stress. We had a new opportunity. Um, they just made us feel really unappreciated. So those two experiences resonated with us. And we, with all the businesses that we've been in, we were very customer service oriented. So, you know, when we got into this business, it was like, we have to be better than that. That is the model of what happens when you don't care or you don't, you know, you're not heart centric. And everybody who has worked with us and the clients that have become friends have all shared the same thing. They know we care. They know we're in it for the long haul. And we don't have what is called in the ninja selling program, which is, you know, has been instrumental for our success, commission breath. Mm. So I tell people when they're like, you know, and they're always hesitant to work. And I'm like, listen, we don't have commission breath. I have clients I have worked with for three to four years or more. We'll never rush you to the table. What's here to do what's right for you so that when you walk into your home, you know that this, this home was found with love and care and concern, not just for us at the end, but more importantly for you and, and the impact it will have on your life. Um, and before that, my husband and I have always run small businesses, and we had carpet and upholstery cleaning franchises in Atlanta, and I handled customer service, in case you can't tell, I have that personality, <laughs> and he handled a lot of the sales and training, and, um, you know, we just really, we, we had this amazing training platform when we were living, living th this experience in our early 20s, and people would say, you're so young to be doing this, and we're self-employed in you know, 23, um, but we were like, failure is not an option. And as we grew that business and became one of the top companies in Atlanta, when we sold it, 
and we started, we couldn't, after another year, we started another customer service business and that brought us down to, uh, to West Palm. And I was like, we have the foundation, we have the business skills and we run everything like a business. We just now have a different product and it's, it's a much more impactful product where you have lifelong relationships. So, you know, with everybody who's worked with us and our agents, we are up to nine agents. This is important. If they don't believe this, they don't feel this and their goal is not to have this relationship with their clients, that that's not a fit for us because everyone who works with us has to have a similar experience and care as much as we do for people. Wonderful. So. And how did you decide to move from Atlanta to Palm Beach specifically, or were there other cities that you're considering too? Um, so we actually, one of the companies that we had started um, after we sold our carpet and upholstery cleaning business, we identified in the market, there was no specialty company for leather care. So like really think about it. If you have a leather sofa, who are you going to call? Stanley mm -hmm. Steamer, I mean, that's who people call, but is that a leather care company? So we created a company specifically for leather furniture and we actually ex expanded into like the leather luxury market. We had a lot of um, stores that referred us for our leather care products for the persons. And the company that manufactured our products, um, it's an international company, and they were, uh, the North American headquarters was here in West Palm. And they basically um, relocated us here to kind of bought our business and our concept and developed that idea into a franchise. Um, you know, and, and when that was done, you know, the project was over and we're like, we are ready for something bigger. We're back, you know, getting back to working for ourselves. And uh, oh, that was in February of 2013. Or I think January took the class. I got my license in February. I was a little over a month pregnant. So I got to deal with class while having morning sickness. <laughs> and most people didn't know. I always tell people, you fake it till you make it. And even my first clients, I think my first sale and my first renters to this day still don't know they were my first sale and my first renters. Um, because you just you you just have to you have to learn what you don't know. Never say you know something you don't. Just say let me get back to you on that. Sure. And I'll never forget I was at the closing table and I was like, please God, don't ask me anything <laughs> about the document. I literally cannot answer one question about this. Hopefully and, they're not tuning in right now. <laughs> no, listen. I, well, he actually he since you know he since moved and whatnot, and I would tell him the truth. But I, was, I mean, and I tell people like you know, and even right. my new agents, they get so scared when it comes down to paperwork, and I'm like, yeah. you just. You have to be committed to finding what you don't know. And um, I was even nine months pregnant. Uh, I, two days before I delivered, I was at a walkthrough. I delivered. I got The way I got admitted, I kind of ended up skipping a night in the hospital. And I went to the closing. And my clients were like, you literally had a child in you like two days ago. Why are you here? I'm like, to make sure your property closed. <laughs> we have a closing. I am here for you. Wow. Nice. Can you guys both actually yeah, that's what I call service. That's service. That's that's yes. called uh, dedication. That's called dedication. Uh, I never. I that were having. Um, they had little kids at the same time I did, so I was there with my baby in the carrier. Like I, I you know, my husband and I, you know, what, what, I had a two-year-old at the time, so he had to babysit one. I was with the other. We were in a small condo, so I'm like, oh my god, the phone is ringing. You go to the other room. I'm going to the bedroom and in the bathroom. I'm going to stand in the shower with all the doors closed, so nobody can hear a child in the background. <laughs> <laughs> but you know those are the beginning days and as we've grown and you know we just that's part of our story and right. it, it's you know it means a lot to people when they realize you know the commitment and what we've gone through to to grow to where we are in a, in a city that we have no network we didn't have friends college you know there's very few alumni here so we literally moved here not knowing anybody and um, you know have, have grown to where we are so it's pretty nice, cool. Wonderful. And can you share the wow. average price points in Palm Beach? So there's a couple of different markets here. There's the island of Palm Beach, um, which a lot of people, they call us like, I want a condo in Palm Beach, but that what they want to be is near like the Mar-a-Lago and whatnot, but they're not realizing mm -hmm. that 400,000 is not going to get them a 2,000 square foot ocean view condo here. So in Palm Beach, you have anywhere from like one to three million, um, you know, in town for small units, you have, you know, ultra luxury 10 to 44 million in other markets and higher. But I would say, you know, one to three million in the island of Palm Beach. And then in West Palm, um, I would say three to 500,000. And how far is that from where, where the luxury places are? Uh, an eighth of a mile. Oh my goodness. Wow, yeah. that close. <laughs> it's a little, little you're, and so there's um, the county of Palm Beach, then uh -huh. there is the island of Palm Beach, and then there is West Palm Beach, which ironically, when you look on a map, it's west of the island, 
but really the eastern section of the county. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I'm oh. like, it's really east-west Palm Beach if you want to get technical. And we have very different, you know, demographics, property types, you know, golf clubs. You have, you know, membership communities, retirement places, condos for 30000 for your 55 plus. And wow. then you have, you know, your ultra luxury where people, you know, they buy multi-million dollar properties to gut them or tear down. Wow. And so, Melissa, yeah. let me ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, what are the drivers, uh, economic drivers in general of San Diego? You've been in that market for 25 years plus years. Like what was it before when you first started and how have you seen, how have you seen things change in San Diego in terms of companies or economic drivers? Um, well, so for me, um, it's so funny because listening to your story about your children and, and, you know, getting in the business, well, I was nursing my, my children. <laughs> I would sit in the back of a classroom and uh, would nurse my son. And when we would do farming, uh, we would be in a wagon. And my kids, I mean, we even took my kids to uh, open houses back then because back then you could do stuff like that, right? Well, now that's unheard of. But, uh, you know, when we first started, when I first started doing real estate, <clears throat> we didn't have the technology that we have today. So we didn't have the ability to be able to do this FaceTime, Zoom calls and things like that. So everything that we did was by telephone and uh, we didn't have the computer knowledge that we do have today. And we were having to take photocopies of the Thomas Brothers Guide, and we would have to <laughs> you know, get to work about an hour early just to be able to photocopy the pages of all the houses that we're going to go to and then highlight it, you know, okay, well, we're going to start here. And that it was insane to think that that's how we were doing real estate back then mm -hmm. compared to the way that we're doing real estate now. It's like, I don't even understand how we, we, how we did it, to be honest with you. I just don't. But we did. And now we're in a, in a position where we're all having to adapt and quickly go from having all of these uh, technologies to turning our business completely virtual, which has been a learning curve, I think, for everybody. But I'm excited because I I like the change. I like that we um, that we've gotten to where we're we are at because that tells us that we can pretty much adapt to just about anything that we put our minds to. You know, putting ourselves, you know, educating ourselves and getting ourselves emerged back into the community, building relationships, and um, you know, trying to help one another during these these difficult times. So I don't know. I, I hope that helps a little bit, but yeah. So. It does, but I'm also curious from the city-wise, like how have you seen the city of San Diego change as in what was it there 25 years ago? Now it's maybe a lot more Qualcomm and, and biotech per perhaps. Love to hear like those so, dynamics, uh, <clears throat> drivers. So we, we definitely are major biotech uh, in San Diego. So we have a lot of those now in Sorrento Valley and we have a lot in Rancho Bernardo. That's where your big, huge techie companies are. Uh, then you have your aerospace companies and things like that. So I think that that overall has grown, which therefore, um, you know, we started seeing a lot more development in the areas of like Karma Mount, Karma Valley, uh, Karma Mount Ranch, uh, you know, where they're building all these new homes to be able to accommodate the people that are coming into our market. So we've also increased, uh, we've opened up freeways, uh, we put in the 56, and uh, that has really helped immensely to be able to get from the I-15 North Inland area all the way across to the coast just by cutting straight across. So that's cut down a lot of traffic for people. Um, so, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of building, lots and lots of new development, uh, very, um, how do I say it? Uh, modernized, you know, they're modernizing a lot of places now. Uh, I don't know. I think I just think a lot of building has taken place in, in, in San Diego over the last, I would even say, 15 years. There's a lot of areas that you probably wouldn't even recognize because there's so, so much building going on. Hmm. Is there um yeah. is there much of an effect of because I know it borders Mexico, and yeah. is that is that a pot is that a positive for San Diego is that a negative over the years like was that 
or it does not it's not doesn't make much of an impact you know you know i think some people think that it has but i'll be perfectly honest with you i do business over there um you know i go get teeth cleaned over there i've got a great dentist um and he also comes you know to the u.s so i i value them i value the border and mexico tremendously and i think that they have really helped us um i i don't see where that has impacted san diego at all they have done a lot of growth building in that area um, over the last several years to where it is actually one of the most popular areas to live is, you know, like, um, let's see here, Ocean Beach or Imperial Beach, which is literally maybe one exit away from the Mexican border. That has grown significantly in value. I mean, where houses used to be, say, 300000 they're literally the same houses with not very many upgrades, but they're like $650,000 today, you know? So South Bay was not some, some place where a lot of people really took up residency, and now you can't, you can't get enough of it. Um, they have, the communities are different. A lot of them, the schools are really top rated uh, in a lot of areas. Um, you know, revamping, redoing the entire area. It's honestly, it is really a joy for me to uh, drive around South Bay. Uh, and I work with a lot of military families. So, you know, we're, we're putting them in homes in those areas. You know, it's more affordable to live down there for sure. But I think that that I've seen the biggest growth has been in the South Bay area for sure. Interesting. And, and Taryn, how about yourself? Like what, I know you've, you haven't been there as long as Melissa has been in San Diego, but um, what are the drivers that you see of why people are either moving in or moving out of Palm Beach specifically? Uh, well, so one, I actually grew up in Miami, so I'm very familiar with the South Florida market as a whole. And there's similar drivers to both, which I think you'd agree is pretty much the uh, no state income tax has been very attractive, obviously, in consideration of what's happening with New York and New Jersey and other markets. We have clients that are coming here in mass exodus and buying properties cash with what they would have paid in their taxes in the Northeast. So um, that's number one. Number two, obviously, in light of this uh, pandemic, Pandemic, people have been cooped up in these 900 square foot properties and it's they're they're just calling and saying I don't care what just find me anything under this price point I will buy it I'm sight unseen other than FaceTime and videos some floor plans and they're like I'll, I'll move when I get there you know it's a, it's a starter home wow. um, you know then that's it's pretty amazing in fact the New York Times just came out with an article I think it was on the 16th that there have been 80,000 mail forwarding requests from New York in the month of April. And the top three destinations are New York, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm, and Philadelphia. So, you know, there's also inheritance tax benefits. So, you know, the, those drivers existed before, but has been exacerbated by everybody being in quarantine. So, I, obviously, and, and the weather, shall we not forget the weather? <laughs> yeah. And also what you can buy here um, in consideration of, of those states. Uh, we had a property for sale in Long Island, that vacant parcel of land, you know, under a million dollars, property taxes, $47,000. I mean, think about that. Yes, yes, exactly how I feel. And if it wasn't that I had experienced it myself, I wouldn't believe it because everyone talks about it. So it's really funny when I have people who are not from the Northeast and they complain about the property taxes and I go, so if you're homesteading it, you know, and you live here six months and one day of the year, not mm-hmm. consecutively, but cumulatively, and your tax is 1.8% of the purchase price. And if you don't live here, we estimate 2%. Let's compare that to other states and no state income tax. I'm like, the, the, the state has to make money somewhere, but still look at what we're really talking about. And you can get some amazing properties here for, you know, three, let's say 400 up to a million, 400, depending on what your goals are. I mean, I've seen some really nice um, newer constructions, a little bit nor- uh, further north, like in Port St. Lucie, which is an up and coming area. And in West Palm, you know, I would say five to 600,000 in some of these communities with low HOAs, you can get you know, a nice concrete block house. And then new construction um, in North Palm Beach, I'm seeing maybe like a million and a half to two million up to multi-million dollars. But that's still a fraction of what people are paying in the Northeast and getting, you know, five to 7,000 square feet versus up there, you're a thousand, 2,000. <laughs> Interesting. Do, so. do, you, do you find much competition between all the 
I mean, they're all fairly big cities like Palm Beach and the, the cities around. Do people tend to say, you know what, let me just go to Miami then or let me go to Tampa or let me go, you know, to these uh, like because it's I mean, how do they compare and, and contrast one over the other? So we have a lot of people when they come to us. Um, I see people saying, I'm thinking about Miami. People are kind of bypassing Fort Lauderdale and okay. I, and they're com- and, and or they're comparing Palm Beach and like Naples, which is very unusual for me because everyone who comes from Naples, like it's so quiet. You can get some great views, great properties, but it just doesn't have a social scene. So with any of our clients, we always go backwards and say, you know, let's forget the names of the cities and what you you know about the cities. Let's understand your lifestyle. And I do a discovery call with anyone who's willing to do it. Sometimes there are people who don't want to do it. And then shocking, they can't find what they're looking for. Or they try to take the control and they send me properties of Zillow. And I'm like, listen, I, I can be a door opener or I can help you find what you're looking for, which, which one do you prefer? Right. Um, but when we do this discovery call, we, we go back with say, you know, close your eyes, wave a magic wand. What does your life look like? You wake up and you do what on a Saturday or, you know, what do you want your commute to look like? And then we really help them kind of back into where in Palm beach County, Miami is so congested as someone who grew up there. I, my parents still live down there. My husband says the best thing about Miami is leaving because it's the traffic what well, used to take an hour back and forth. I've, it's taken me two and a half hours to get down to the same parts sometimes. So it's five hours. I'm like, I literally could have gone to Disney and back by now. Um, we also have a unique downtown on the waterfront here. And if downtown West Palm isn't for them, and if say the island in town Palm Beach is a price point that they're not comfortable with, Delray is a great option. And now we have a high speed train called the Bright Line that goes from downtown Miami to downtown Fort Lauderdale. Neither of those stations, though, are really walking distance of downtown. You still have like a quick Uber ride. The Bright Line in downtown West Palm is truly in downtown. You walk out, you have restaurants one block away in either direction and trolley service. So that has really um, changed the dynamic of people considering Palm Beach. Plus, you're three miles to the airport. And with this high-speed train to Miami, people are realizing they can work down in Miami or Fort Lauderdale. And for, you know, it's, it's and the, the train is an example. It's $5,000 round trip, kind of an all access pass for the year. But for $5,000 for the year, you can't get the, the equivalent difference in, right. in price and property. So we have people buying up here and having the businesses down there and overcoming that distance objection. So wow. it's, and then same with Naples. When people are considering, I'm like, listen, go visit Naples. If you want something a little bit sleepier, you don't mind having to drive the activity, you know, it could be a good option. But, you know, depending on where, how many of these lifestyle um, things are important to you, stay in West Palm for a week and then let's see if you still want to move somewhere else. Nice. Like, how long is that ride from Palm Beach to uh, Miami on the train? Um, on the train, uh, an yeah. hour and five minutes from oh, wow. downtown into downtown Miami. And I believe they had now have a connector going. If not now, they will connecting um, downtown Miami, um, Brightline Station to the Miami airport. You're about uh, 40 minutes from downtown West Palm to Fort Lauderdale. And it's like a, it's a first class experience. Richard Branson actually bought it. I think it was last summer, the summer before. And the Brightline Station in Miami has been renamed Virgin Central. I think it is a Virgin Miami. So, oh. you know, the, it's speculative that it's also going to be um, connecting it maybe by bus service to um, the cruise, uh, the port, because he has his cruise line now, and Brightline is building into Orlando, and they already have a station there. Oh, interesting. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so there's some really cool things happening, but without having it, somebody who's truly in the know and lives this and loves this, there are so many agents out there that are part-time, and they all advertise online, but they you know, they might do one to two deals a year, and, and they don't take the time to go to the neighborhood committees, action committees, you know, downtown action committee, for example, they don't know what's happening behind the scenes. So mm-hmm. you have someone who's like, oh, West Palm, you know, I don't know, it's not so developed. And I'm like, let me get in my car, give me one day. <laughs> Every single parcel here has been sold and spoken for. They're all getting permitted. I think we have a couple billion in new construction permits that have been approved. So wow. what you see now is not what you're buying. What you're buying is what is coming and everything's already spoken for. You just get to be here for the appreciation. Right. <laughs> Oh, no, that's exactly. awesome. Yeah. And yeah. so given okay. these given these times, uh, I know different Florida has opened up a lot faster than California. Um, <laughs> but uh, Melissa, can you, can you share what is the current protocol to, to actually go see a house in San Diego? Is there any open houses? Yeah. Like, hey, go ahead. No, 
None. No, open houses are actually forbidden uh, in the county altogether. You get, if you are caught doing an open house, you know, you're risking losing your license. Um, not worth it, in my opinion. Right. So one of the things that we're doing as part of the safety uh, committee here is uh, we are posting, you know, I had one that I wanted to show you guys. Hold on one second here. Oh, is it a, one of those a, forms? That you post no um, oh. so we are doing the peds we are doing the peds form um there are actually quite a few new forms that are um that have been generated and depending upon your county uh, i would encourage everybody to kind of log on and look at your you know what your uh you know what your forms are looking like i they pretty much think they're about the same for southern california one of the things that I'm doing for my listings, because I am a predominant listing agent here, is that I have, um, you probably can't see. We like, can see it. Sorry. Yeah. Oh. But it, what, it, what it is is you put it up, we're having a mating coroplast, so we can put them up on the doors. But what it is is it talks about, you know, all visitors that come to the property must abide by following rules. So what I do is I'm actually providing gloves at the door. I've got sanitizer, and I also have booties, which uh, recently I just found out that uh, people were getting sued because they were falling down in the houses from wearing booties. I'm like, of all things, you know, we have lawsuits on this. So we, um, we have a, a, a protocol where only two people are allowed in a house at one given time, not the agent or their clients, either the client themselves and one other person or the agent and one other person. But there cannot be any more than two in, at a time. Um, they must wear protective uh, face masks at all times in, in the property. And after viewing, uh, I have put a little uh, trash can on the outside of the property so they can dispose of their gloves, their masks, and all the shoe coverings that they used during their visit. Um, we also make sure that they have not been inflicted with or within the last 14 days have been in contact with somebody that was sick, may have had COVID. Uh, we're really trying everything that we can. Most of the people that are here, especially the buyers, they're sight unseen. That's how they're purchasing their properties right now. Um, I will go into the property with gloves on. I basically have a full suit of, I have a full armor, basically. It's kind of funny, but I do. Um, just to protect myself. And I'll go in and I'll do FaceTime with the client and we'll go through room by room. And what I'm currently doing is I'm doing all of the you know, things that are necessary to get their house up, like the handyman work and, you know, hiring people to come in and do the carpet and things like that. So we're, we're dealing with a lot of that right now. Um, we're also um, making sure, Spencer, that every single person that absolutely wants to go take a look at a property, that they are 100% approved. We need an approval form from the lender. I have conversations with the lender. I make sure that the client has proof of funds. And I also ask the agent questions about what it is their client is looking for. I've disqualified a lot of people from property just by that alone. Oh, well, they're just looking, you know, right now. Well, this probably isn't the best time to look, you know, for a property, especially with, with what's happening. This is a, a market for people who are ready to buy, like right now. So that's kind of what we're doing. Um, I don't think that a lot of agents are really adhering to that because I see people going into houses without gloves and masks and booties. Like, this is nothing. So when they do come here and work with me, I guarantee you everybody's wearing masks and booties and, you know, things like that to protect. Uh, we are also using sanitizing wipes to wipe things down as well. So that's kind of what we can do here. And, um yeah, that's no. That's it. Yeah, so got it. Yeah, I mean, health health is definitely the number one uh, thing right now. And so when it comes to those yeah. questions, you know, as as much as I understand, like some people like to browse open houses on the weekend, <laughs> like that's not an option oh, yeah. for for a while. No. Um, no. So. 
I think the way we're doing business is going to change altogether. Um, you know, right. even even if things start to go back to normal, there's actually quite a bit of what we're doing now that I really like. Um, um, I really do. And I think that we can weed out a lot of people if we really do the things that we're doing now when we were conducting our business beforehand. Um, I think that it just weeds the looky-loos, if you will, out. I miss the open houses and the interactions with people, but my business has not slowed down here at all. In fact, I've increased my business. The first 30 days of COVID, it was very slow, and then all of a sudden, it just it got crazy, crazy busy, crazy busy, especially with new build. Oh, interesting. Oh, that is interesting, the yeah. new build side. Yeah, so, yeah, I'd love to hear about that momentarily in terms of how yeah. you see the entire process change. But, Taryn, can you share the protocols? And I think Florida, like, where, where, outside of just real estate, but where is Florida at in terms of restaurants being open? If not, um, sure, what's going on in that perspective? So phase one, I believe, was last weekend, give or take. And then we were at 25% um, capacity for some establishments. And this week was 50. A lot of the, the streets, like um, kind of like uh, downtown West Palm has kind of one main road that has you know, a lot of like, restaurants and whatnot. They've actually closed the blocks and they put like sidewalk um, tents so people can be spread out. And, and most people, more people are starting to do that. Um, we're not allowed to do open houses. Um, and, and to overcome that, you know, just lots of FaceTime. We actually, I, I think like about a week or so after the lockdown really happened, we started quarantining early because of our two girls. When the rumors were kind of coming about, you know, the, how contagious it was. And, you know, I remember it was March 12th. They had a, you know, we pulled them out of school. The next day was a half day. I'm like, we're done. We're, we're, we're not taking them to school. And, and we're just, we're just going to make it work. Um, and then the next couple of weeks, it started getting, you know, really, really serious. We proactively bought a whole bunch of equipment to do 3D tours um, on all of our properties. And unfortunately, it literally took a, almost two months to get that equipment to us because uh -oh. everything, there was like a rush to order everything and everything got caught up in um, customs. Delay. I had one package that was in Orlando for like two weeks. So now that we have it, things are kind of opening up again for showings. But um, but we did get that equipment. Um, you are allowed to do showings. A lot, sellers are starting to, you know, really be open to it. I have one client that's like, can I just leave the house open and you can come in the house and it can be an open house, but you are not having the open house. The house is open and people can just come. <laughs> and I'm like, I love that. I, I can't promote it, but if you want me to show up and do it, I will. Um, well, we didn't, you know, but it was funny to kind of like to talk oh, that through. Right. Um, there is a virtual open house feature on our yeah. MLS, which has been an interesting development. Um, it's great in theory, but I have seen a lot of agents kind of abusing that, and they're saying they have virtual open houses, but they're really having it go to their own page, and they're not really promoting the houses that they're doing, and so they're bypassing the co-broker agents so they, they can double-end deals. Um, mm. You know, mm. and that has been an wow. interesting thing. Yeah, my clients were like, that's kind of sneaky, and you know, they're like, where's oh. the open house? And I'm like, yeah, that was two weeks ago, but they kept the link up on all of them every weekend. Oh, wow. Well, how, how does the actual virtual open house work like logistically? Is it is the idea or the concept where the agent is them by themselves and someone can click a link and then they can literally do a, a you know, FaceTime with them or what? What is it exactly? So some people are doing it as basically I'm going to do a virtual open. I'm going to go hang out at my client's house from one to from two, mm -hmm. one to two or two, 12 to two. And you can kind of go into the Facebook live. And mm. you pop in, I'm like, oh, hey there, let's take a tour. Um, some people are having that link take you to a Zoom link to schedule a bracket of time to basically create a showing. Right. Um, another uh, local agent, that what they're doing is like a one hour, kind of like a broker's tour almost, and they have like three properties. And I'm not really clear if they are doing pre-recorded videos but making it look like it's live. Um, mm. But they're, that's how they're promoting like – all their listings, but they're only showing three per week. So they're again just, and and it's also going straight to the listing agent site. So I'm like that kind of defeats the, you know, the fact that we can't put our own contact info in the public remarks. Mm -hmm. um, but everyone, everyone's just kind of trying to adapt to this. Um, you know, wow. showings have exploded this week. I, I mean, it was quiet. It started the last couple of weeks. People started getting a rush of pre-approvals again. Um, individual showings or FaceTime showings. But this week, it's like everything is feeling somewhat 
normal. I had three same day showings on one of my listings. I had multi, uh, repeat showings. Um, I've converted a bunch of renters to buyers. Just getting the mentality there because their credit scores are good. Right. People are being told they can't qualify because some lenders' guidelines have changed, but it's not all all lenders. So somebody right. you know has a FHA loan, their lender says, "Now, sorry, I can't do it. It was not a six sixty, but they don't understand there's still more lenders out there doing five eighty. So those properties are coming back on the market. The sellers are getting desperate, dropping not dropping prices, but being maybe a little bit more negotiable towards closing costs. Hmm. Then I, and I have these renters that are coming to me thinking they can't buy, and I'm, when I look at their credit reports or their applications, I'm like, based on your first lesson security and your credit score, you could totally buy an FHA property, and switching them to buying. Mm -hmm. So and I have a great calculator that shows like the rent versus buy, kind of like what the break even point is. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm like, well, you're going to be in there for three years. Wouldn't you want someone to pay you to move out instead of just fighting for your security deposit? So that's been an interesting uh, shift in kind of like the market as well. Mm -hmm. um, luxury has been hurting a little bit. Um, a lot of buildings are not allowing showings in general, um, wow. which has been an interesting conversation because I don't know if buildings can actually keep a seller from showing their property, but no one, people are trying to figure out where in the bylaws they can challenge that. But some of these luxury buildings have hurt because a lot of those buyers are from the Northeast and they wanted wow. to come see it. So. Yeah. You know, kind of getting over that. And, you know, I had someone um, at a building that gave me like a hand wipe. I had to wipe down the elevator thing. I had to wipe down like my hands, but they let me in. So I'm like, whatever you need me to do, <laughs> I will come in like a full PPE outfit. I just need to get in this property. <laughs> right. No, it obviously makes so, it very hard for people yeah. to want to buy if they can't even go see it. I mean, but, you know, I kind of feel that it's, it's almost like. It's kind of like it's almost like a, it's like a challenge, you know. Uh -huh. As if they people get, I said to them, I'm like, look, I'm like, if we can get in, I'm like, we're like the only ones. <laughs> I'm, I am, I will stop at nothing. I can't say the same about other people. Right. Um, but Melissa made a really good point about how this is kind of changing the industry, and um, you know, we've all I, I've re really instilled in my team members the, the value of pre-qualifying and it doesn't have to be have you spoken to my lender but just understanding the financial situation the mindset and timeline and this is coming into play now more than ever um, where it's always in part of our training now everyone's doing it so it's more commonplace before people get upset if we ask too many questions about their eligibility and their timeline now it's everyone's asking it so you're getting more qualified um, opportunities for the ones that you're taking the time to go show Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely makes sense. So I know Melissa, you disconnected for a moment, mm -hmm. but for Melissa, how do you see the journey of a buyer and seller change? Because you mentioned the process right now for sure has changed, but moving forward, like where do you see opportunities of what you're doing that might be more that will continue to stay? But where do you see po potential disruption if, if you've thought about it, where maybe different tech platforms might hurt the agent business? Like, what are your thoughts related to those? Oh, Melissa can't hear you. I'm not sure if you're muted. We can't hear you. All right, so maybe you'll try to redial. We can't hear you. So we can redial, and then Taryn, why don't you answer the uh, question in the meantime? Um, uh, so actually, my signal just kind of faded in and out too while you were saying that. <laughs> Oh, okay. Can you repeat the question? Yeah. I'm sorry. No worries. So the question is, you know, there, the process has certainly changed uh, over the last two months. Uh, however, moving forward, what do you, you know, how how are you changing your business just as, as a journey altogether? And do you feel like this is a great opportunity for agents to stand out more? Or do you also feel like tech might be able to disrupt in certain ways at the same time? What do you think? So I, you know, I kind of alluded to it a little bit, you know, with my long-winded reply before about how the buyer process is changing, and you know, just being uh, people being more aware about asking about pre-qualifications and, you know, their timeline. Um, mm -hmm. That for those of us who are techie, you know, we've been doing virtual buying buyers and seller listing appointments for years, so this was an easy segue for us. Um, you know, we are already had all the tools in place that everyone's now just starting to learn. But I do see for you know agents who are not as adept to um, to use technology or they're resistant, I think they're going to get hurt. I think people are going to be, you know, more skeptical about the looky-loos, um, you know, open houses. I think that, you know, real estate is going to become more intentional again. Um, and, and even, you know, 
I mean, for us, like for our time, you know, we don't know where people have been, you know, I mean, they're talking about this going on for months, you know, another, you know, their wave of this in the fall, um, you know, just asking someone, you know, like if you find the right property, are you ready to buy it? Right. And even getting them to commit to that. They said, well, I don't know. Like then we have to ask ourselves, like, you know, what am I exposing myself to? Um, and that's been, you know, kind of like the scary thing for me as people are now wanting to see more properties is there has to be on another level of trust before it wasn't just, you have a need to buy property. I want to show it to you now it's how serious are you? Um, uh-huh. you know, and, and, you know, and also in terms of you know, qualifications, um, mm-hmm. we've, we had several transactions that all fell apart within like three days of each other. Uh, and they were all either self-employed loans or asset depreciation loans and loans tied to a portfolio loans and, or non-QM loans. And it was mm-hmm. pretty, it was a pretty devastating week. It was like the last week of March. Some of our loans were even approved and then the lender has stopped originating indefinitely and, or that loan product no longer exists. Right. And you know, that was, painful conversations to have with everybody all around. Um, and so we actually changed our process already. And when someone says they're a cash buyer, now we're asking, well, are you cash because you are liquid in the bank or because you plan to sell something related to the stock market? Because before people were saying that they are cash because they have these huge portfolios and they'll sell before they buy. But when the market crashed and they lost 30 to 40%, people who were a cash buyer versus 800,000 now no longer could buy that. But they were cash based on the answers before, but we figured out that our cash was different than what was the reality. So that has already started changing for us. Right, yeah, it makes sense. And fortunately, during that time, mid-March was when things were very unknown. Uh, because a lot of things started to sh- close in terms of the economy, but also from our real estate practice. And fortunately, over the weeks, uh, confidence has continued to increase on their end as investors. So a lot of programs are back. But yeah, during that basically one or two, really one week, it was it was really rough because they had you know this new level of risk that they weren't forecasting. So even those that got pre-approved, um, you know, got affected unfortunately during that time. But for the yeah, most I think part, we, yeah. I think we had seven contracts yeah. in pretty much wow. like a ten-day period implode. Uh, I was I had to meditate a lot those days. <laughs> wow. Myself. Now, now, I'm now, like, yeah. I'm like, I can survive this. Failure is not an option. I just have to stay the course. But there were some times there, and I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now I, I'm curious during that time because you probably had no more contingencies by then, right? Oh. No, no. Yeah. So, so, so did, did most of the <laughs> listing agents like were there issues in, or did they most oh. understand too? Yeah. Or is yeah, no, it's, it's, we're, we're still feeling feeling the pain of them. One of them, we have a hundred thousand yeah. dollar escrow dispute right now. Wow. Um, the contracts here, and maybe there too, um, do not did not specify pandemic as part of force majeure. So that has been a, a legal battle here. It's like, well, is this an act of God or is it not? And, and it's just one in particular um, client yeah. using asset depreciation loan, um, buying mm. a property and the people he was buying it from were buying another property. And that the seller was an yeah. agent and she wrote an offer on her purchase without a contingency on the sale of her home. So when his deal fall, fell apart, they couldn't buy theirs, but they were upset because he defaulted because his loan had been pretty much approved. We were just waiting to close. We even were ready to close early. They didn't want to close early. So had she closed when we wanted to close, it would have been done. So they, the sellers lost their deposit and they're getting sued for non-performance. They're right. pursuing the, the escrow deposit. And you know we're all thinking, obviously an arbitrator is going to say, hey, listen, like everybody had this huge crisis. He didn't default. He did everything in good faith. But we really right. don't know the outcome of that one. Um, we had another one where I had the seller, the property getting bought, that property had a purchaser. So you have the three, you know, the, all, everyone has contingencies. The person who was buying, the middle person's house who was buying our house, got furloughed one day to closing. Wow. One yeah. day to closing, a hundred, a totally approved oh and ready God. to go. Right. Um, and we're still feeling the pain of that. We have an indefinite, we have, we have another expansion into June. Um, I want, you know, it's just everything had so many nuances and it was, and we didn't know what to say because yeah. everything we had told people how they're protected by the contract. Right. Went out the window. <laughs> yeah. No, it was rough for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Mel- Melissa, uh, yeah. Same, same, same question before you got disconnected in terms of, 
you know, how do you see the the process change for yourself moving forward as well? Um, I, well, I definitely see that. Um, well, I don't know. That's kind of hard in a way to ask, for me to answer, only because um, as far as the changing going forward, I can do that. Uh, you know, with the lenders tightening down all their guidelines, you know, or really kind of weeding out the people who, I don't know, that are maybe uh, looky-loos kind of uh, buyers. And what I, right now, what I'm actually seeing happen is that we'll get an offer, like what she was just saying is uh, she would get an offer or I'd get an offer and we would be, we see contingencies being removed up front. We see all cash happening. Uh, we're starting to even see, interestingly enough, those who do actually have cash uh, for purchasing properties, we're finding that, you know, two, two weeks in and they ghost everybody. They're like getting out and we don't even know why. Um, but the good thing is, is that we're, we're back in escrow on properties uh, immediately thereafter. This is something I have never really seen before in my 26 years of real estate. I've never seen that happen before. Go in escrow, two weeks later, they ghost you, um, or, and they don't even tell you why they are out. Um, I see a lot of people who could buy uh, back in November, December, January, February are no longer qualifying because of the lenders, uh, you know, their guidelines and things like that, which actually kind of makes it a little sad in a way. Yeah. But being able to work with people who are already approved and ready to go is kind of a nice thing if you think about it. Yeah. But we are seeing five-day contingency removals. We're seeing inspection contingency removals uh, removed. Even people who have a property that needs to sell. What's happening is, let me see if I can explain this. So what they'll do is they'll put an offer in and it won't be contingent on their property uh, selling. But because they're into it by two weeks, what they're hoping is between the time frame that they remove the contingencies on the house they want to buy, they have already removed contingencies on their property. Therefore, their house is going to close sooner and they're going to have the money to be able to. So there are people coming up with the most craziest ways to be able to qualify, you know, to getting a home that I haven't seen before. Oh. It's, you know, I, mean, I don't know if you guys are seeing that or not, but that's what I am we're running into that a lot here. That's really interesting. We did have we did have a round that had uh, tons of multiple bids. It was really unusual. I mean, I'm talking like offers way over appraisal, um, waiving appraisal, waiving financing. Right now, I'm seeing like 10 day loan commitments, um, 20 day. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, 10 day loan commitments, 20 day appraisals, trying to close in under 30. Um, uh, you know, and, and uh, um, it's. I'm like, are we are we sure we're gonna be able to do this? <laughs> but everyone's saying they can't. They're like an overdrive. So it's it's been interesting. I'm glad we're not the only people seeing some interesting things in the market. It's crazy. Um, I, but I'll be honest with you, there really isn't anything that is happening right now that I don't dislike. Uh, in all honesty, the only thing, well, no, I, let me go backwards. The thing that I don't like is the ghosting. Um, you know, here we have a perfectly beautiful home, completely remodeled. You know, I mean, this family sent us the most beautiful letter. This is their dream home, pictures of their family. And two weeks into it, it's like they send us a notice to cancel. <laughs> they don't tell us why. Inspection was great. Appraisal came back just great. Boom. They were gone. I've never seen that. I swear, never. <laughs> wow. Wow. Now, isn't there, don't they have their earnest money down? So is, aren't they liable for something or no? Well, not really, because if they don't have their contingencies removed, if they, if they are doing their, you know, their good faith within the 10 days, that they 10, 15, 17, whatever they want at that time, and in this case it was 17 days, within that two-week time frame, if, you know, they decide that they don't want a house, they don't really even have to have a reason. They don't even have to exercise. Uh, but we are not entitled to any of it unless their contingencies are, are all removed. Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, it, it is, contingencies are still fairly rare here in the Bay Area. Um, it just depends on the situation and uh, the competition aspects of it. 
But what Taryn brought up of you know, 10 day loan contingencies, 20 day appraisal, 30 day close. Like those are all pretty weak terms here <laughs> relative. Really? So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So, so if I can just share with you guys something, and I know that I'm not going to be the only one um, experiencing this. And I'll tell you, this is what's crazy is that you get these agents who really want these properties. And I have five um, and in two of the properties, because the other ones are going live next week. It is the agents will say, you know what, we're going in at full value, we're going in $20,000, you know, above, whatever, fine. But then they'll come back, even though we say sold as is on specific properties, and then they come back and they, yes, the buyer has a right, but the buyer signed it stating that there will be no repairs. Then the agents get upset with you because, you know, you're, they say the sellers are not willing to work with them and it's not unrealistic for them to ask. And it's like, but you guys said sold as is. And I'm seeing a lot of agents becoming very hostile, very um, argumentative and combative and things like that because, you know, what happened to holding people to their contracts? This is a problem that we're having right now in our in our market. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because it's really the education of that agent and that buyer to begin with um, of yeah. what they got themselves into. Now they're trying to blame the other side, which is uh, exactly. really unacceptable. Yeah, no, that's interesting. They wanted a they wanted a two forty volt, and we have a two twenty volt right in the house and the 220 volt has always been in the house and so the agent argued with wow. me about you know wanting the buy or the seller to pay to have that upgraded so that the lady could sell it um somewhere down the road with a 240. you know to me that is cosmetic and she's right. like no it's not I'm like, but it's not you know it's not something and i'm like fine whatever i'll pay for it myself let's just move forward so i'm mm. seeing that with every single deal it wow. is not sold out. Um, I'm, oh. Can you comment, Spencer, you made an interesting comment about those being really weak terms. What kind of terms are you guys seeing? You know, because obviously different markets, you know, for what we're proposing now, I mean, that's strong for this area, but what are, what's common there? So generally, and I think it has to do with what is available up front. So here, at least in the Bay Area, what, what I personally like is all the listing agents will typically have inspection reports, termite reports, all the reports done ahead of time. And mm -hmm. so when people yeah. read that and review that, they should have, you know, with the guidance of the agent, e confidence to make an offer non-contingent, which means no appraisal, yeah. no loan. That's just, that's the, that's the norm. Now, closing is slower for sure, but if we wanted to, we can still do 21 day close easy, right? Um, but now it's kind of like 30 days again, because then again, it's not as competitive as before, so there's not as much of a rush. But when it was competitive, the big banks can all do 15-day close. Right? We have a company, we have a lender here who will do a 10-day close. Um, it's not very common, um, partially because the sellers are not used to that, and they nearly have a nervous breakdown when we try to do that. Um, but I mean, that's really interesting about having the inspection, all the reports up front. Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of fascinating. I, you know, I don't know if I said that to someone. I said, "Here's everything. You're going to wait the inspection period, right?" And I go like, "Ah." <laughs> well, that's an interesting part because I mean, I, I I actually don't understand why all the other areas don't do it because you know you you come into this, they have an unknown. They like the house, but they don't really see the report. So there, there's a reason for them to right. back out. So why not do it ahead of time, like? What other inspections are you going to do that's going to be different than this third party mm -hmm. person? So it's kind of interesting that I, you know, other areas don't adopt it is the more interesting part from my perspective. Do you uh, guys, is, uh, are, are the closings are done by attorneys or do you have title agents? No, it's. Uh, no, we have title. Thank God. Yeah. I dealt with, and again, with my New York experience, right. we had a couple of clients once that were like, so rude to one of my agents and they're like, what do you even do anyways? Because it turned out it was the commission that really was um, making or breaking this transaction and they wanted her to like contribute like half of it. So the deal could get done. They're like, because what do you even do anyways? You know, we did just open the door. And that's when we really um, became aware of just how 
different real estate is in states like New York, where the agent does just find the property, work out some verbal terms, and the attorneys take it from there, and then they negotiate and handle the closing. And I try to explain to people, we are involved from day one until the day of closing, and these are the three, you know, the 75 steps that we do to get you there to build that value. So now every time I work with someone outside of, who's from outside of our area and has bought and sold somewhere else, I always ask what was that like there so I can set expectations in case we ever run into that. Cause it was, it was pretty shocking to even be talked to like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then it, rightfully so, right. If their expectations in the Northeast is that way, they may assume other areas are the same and they may they may look at the realtor very differently because they're not part as much of the process, you know, as, as our markets. So but I think New York might be the only like one of the very few, if not the only one that has it set up. I may be mistaken, but there's not too many that are set up that way. Um, but nevertheless, let's go ahead and wrap things up. And so thank you guys so much for joining. It's great to hear both of your markets. Things are definitely interesting. and. Yeah. And I'm glad things are still going very well for both of your business. Uh, Taryn, why don't you go first? What's the best way of people uh, to get in touch with you in case you have any questions of, of Palm Beach? And I think there's a, a maybe a little special thing that you wanted to share too. Um, that, that you shared that you shared it to us in the beginning. Yes. Yeah, oh, I'm, like, I'm like, is there a surprise? <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I was like, what are you implying here? <laughs> um, yeah. <so. laughs> I needed a good laugh today. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, so first, to reach me, um, I have a very easy name. Even if you misspell it while you're Googling, you'll inevitably find me. So it's uh, Taryn Pizaneski. It's T as in Tom, A-R-Y-N. And any version of Pizaneski after that should 99% of the time say, did you mean this, Taryn? Um, our website is uh, TPG, palmbeach.com, which is the Pizaneski group. So TPG palmbeach.com all spelled out you can find me on facebook uh twitter linkedin instagram hunt me down i'm painfully accessible and i love what i do i was on twitter in 2008 and i never looked back wow. um, in time my <laughs> phone number yeah i actually at one point was uh, one of the top 10 most influential people on social media in atlanta and uh, wow. cnn had actually uh, brought me in to talk to their reporters on how to use twitter for breaking news wow. so Way back in the day. Melissa's well, gonna call you. <laughs> I actually was on Prodigy. I mean, I don't know if anybody here even knows Prodigy, but Prodigy was like the AOL era, like in like oh, yeah. the early '90s. And I actually I was a Prodigy user, and I built my first website on GeoCities in '96. <laughs> I taught myself HTML. I was in college in Boston. Uh, I would go and I got HTML books. I actually I would draw out what I wanted my website to look like because they didn't have like the WYSIWYG sites, and so I would actually draw it. I'd label the frame and I'd write out the code, and I'd go back to my dorm room and I'd code it so it's been really fun to see like the evolution of all this that is awesome very techy yeah yeah you guys need to definitely connect again after <laughs> um and in terms of you know that the surprise so um what I was talking about earlier before we jumped on our on our call with everyone is that the market here in South Florida is very different you know we can get some great investment properties as low as 200,000 uh, and up and get concrete blocks CBS duplexes you know 275 and up and we're starting to put together some offerings for people and you know and it kind of um, the market kids like you're in if they want their money to go farther here are a couple different possibilities as to like equity in their house they take out a loan what can they buy here how does it cash flow and we have property management companies and basically the same amount of money they already have in your equity buying uh, you know properties assets and, and building up your your wealth um, as well as properties for homestead and you can get some really great condos in downtown West Palm as low as like 180,000, a cute studio, uh, not studio, well, one bedroom, you know, 800 square feet. You can walk to all the restaurants and you get your Florida homestead, you get the, no state income tax, great weather, um, and you know, all the different things that people love about West Palm. So um, if you're kind of sick as to what your money buys you in other places or you want more or you want to build your investment portfolio, uh, you know, with Melissa and Spencer, we can help you. So let us know. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. And you're Melissa. How about yourself? What's the best way of people to get get a hold of you? Yeah, you know, I'm the same as Taryn. I am on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. Uh, under I'm Selling San Diego, uh, two Facebook pages, and you can reach me at six one nine eight two three six one three seven. 
you can email me uh, at Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, at MelissaHUK.com, or visit my website, which is awesome. Um, it is really coming together super nicely, so please visit my website at www.imsellingsandiego, all spelled out, .com. So imsellingsandiego.com. Uh, we do investments. We do new builds. I, I am a new build liaison. Uh, I work with military families. We are a retired military family, and military is my my bag. I love the military. So if you are relocating to San Diego or you're re- Hey, Podcast World. Thank you so much for your support. I do post at least three shows a week. If you like the content, please leave a five-star review, smash that subscribe button, and share it with your friends. Looking forward to have you back at the next one. Bye now.